Hey, Shay. Uh, I was listening to your DM diary, and it was great. This is Judd from Daydreaming About Dragons, and it was great to listen to you end on a moment of hope, especially because I think you, you went by very quickly something that's super important, right? Uh, the, the, the idea of delegating something that's traditionally a, a, a GM's responsibility and that helping you get to the table and be excited and have energy feels like a huge puzzle piece of, of everything you've been searching for since the beginning of the show, like the thesis of the show, right? And, and it's huge. It feels like a big moment. It feels like maybe that needs to be interrogated more. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. That felt like a big one. And you kind of like went by it quickly and, and maybe, I don't know, maybe more weight to that. It's kind of cool. So that's, a, that's one thought. Hey, Judd, thanks for the call in. Um, I know I'm interrupting. There's another part to come later in the episode. But yeah, you're right. This is important. And I think what you're referring to is when I spoke in the last episode about how one of the players has stepped up to kind of create characters and manage the characters for the players which has been an amazing amazing help and yeah it is a big moment actually because for me I realized that character creation and everything to do with character creation when I'm not a player really isn't very important to me and and along with that and you're probably going to hear a bit about this in in the coming episode but there's a number of other things that have been happening and along the way, I've realized just entirely how sovereign, in my mind, the player is over their character. And that has really begun to solidify in my way of thinking about how I role play. This idea that really players, they are the ones who create characters. And the GM kind of needs to butt out of that. That's fundamentally what I have come to believe. And... When players step up and manage that together, that whole process, and then including stuff like after the you know, in-between adventure stuff that characters are dealing with, like trading away treasure they found, selling off stuff, all that kind of malarkey, for me, that's massive. It's a huge weight off, and it means I can get on with gaming. And you're right, Judd. It's a big moment. Game on. Things he won't share with us The darkness in his brain The dungeon master's plan The pleasure and the pain What's better left unknown Keep calling out to me I hear him think out loud To die Only the brave shall come My name is Che Webster, and this is the Roleplay Rescue Dungeon Master's Diary. And the second thing, which maybe isn't as important, but is uh, weighing on all of us, is that you know you started the show at, with you know at the, with this really cool thesis of like, hey, you know, adulthood is difficult. How can we get back to gaming? You know, how do we get back to kind of uh, you know, do we need what kind of systems help us do that? And in the meantime, the world has become more complicated and, and adulthood, I think, has gotten more challenging uh, in the age of COVID. And, and no one knows that more than a teacher. And, and there you are, uh, you know, in the trenches. So 
Um, I don't know what to say other than congrats for being, you know, in those trenches and, and, and surviving and getting out there and helping those kids and teaching and GMing and keeping on with the show and creating community. So thank you. Hey, up Shay. Shandy Andy here. Just listening to the latest uh, episode of your uh, Dungeon Master's Diary. And you were talking about um, how it's great that um, players generate the characters and don't need the GM to get involved. And I can agree with this to a certain extent. I mean, the, the obvious exception is when the players don't know the system. Um, and certainly with um, a couple of systems, Castles and Crusades and GURPS, uh, that, that you've run for me, um, there was no way I'd be able to roll up a character on my own without your help, certainly to start with. Um, I, I think that's something that you know comes with a bit of practice, doesn't it? Um, but anyway, with, with that uh, caveat out of the way, uh, I do agree it's great if the players just sort it out themselves. And in fact, in my OSC and RuneQuest uh, games that I run, I've done exactly that. I've just told them, you know, go away, come back with a character, it'll be fine. Now, in the case of OSC, that's a lot easier, in my opinion, because rolling up an OSC character, you know, can be a five-minute, you know, if you take your time. Um, so it's a lot easier, um, uh, particularly if you've got something like Roll20 or something where you're just filling in the, uh, and I'm doing it three down the line, making it nice and easy. And that the downside I've found in letting my characters do that is I ended up with, um, I think it was eight in the party, and three, three of them were thieves. Um, now... So that the, the parties aren't balanced. Uh, we only had one magic uh, user, full stop, um, and he usually used his spell very early on in sessions. So, um, but I think as a GM, we can always work around that. Uh, and certainly, I'm writing my own material anyway, as largely in, until I've just started running the Palace of the Silver Princess. So I was um, I was sort of making sure that any scenarios I, I wrote would fit in with the group of players that were there anyway. But I wonder whether I had made it more difficult for myself in the long term by allowing the players to just roll up their own characters and me have nothing to do with them until they turned up at the table. Because then I am perhaps having to do extra work to make sure that the scenarios that I'm writing are more balanced. I mean, I understand there's an argument to say I'm playing in a sandbox, they shouldn't be balanced to that. But uh, perhaps balance is the wrong word, but I, I've certainly written them with a view that they would be interesting for the characters we have in the party to go on. In other words, I'm not trying to railroad them into doing something that they wouldn't really want to do as characters. You see where I'm going with this? I don't know. Perhaps I'm talking rubbish, but you see, see what I'm, hopefully you see what I'm saying. Uh, RuneQuest was a little bit different, I think, because, quite frankly, there, um, players can turn up with any character to the uh, table, in my opinion, and it, it, it's cool. Um, I need to have to think about why it's cool, though, because um, I'm not quite sure. Maybe with the RuneQuest, thinking about it, it's because that the characters tend to be a lot more jack-of-all-trades and masters of none, as opposed to a lot of other systems, uh, you know, like GURPS or OSE, um, which tend to be more character, um, sort of class-driven. So, so in many ways, a lot of the characters do turn up with... Um, uh, you know, you know, a lot of different spirit magic, and they they can um, they can all use weapons. So it doesn't matter quite so much, I don't think. You know, whether one's particularly strong in magic or particularly strong in fighting. Um, so so maybe the system does make a difference in that. Um, but certainly enjoyed your episode, Shay. Um, good stuff. And uh, as regards being tired and worn out, <laughs> amen, brother. I I hear you. I would love to play in uh, more more of the stuff that you're you're running online, but. I just haven't got the time or the energy at the moment. So it's not just you. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of us uh, all suffering at the moment. 
keep up the good work kind words there from shandy andy thanks man it's great to hear from you and um yeah i'm sorry you're struggling too so the subject of characters being created by players great comments and you know broadly i agree with you i think that the main thing i wanted to emphasize is in kind of this obviously connects to judd's comment as well is that this player who is taking on the role of managing the players and their characters is essentially taking on one of those traditional gm roles which is to yes to help players create characters but but also actually managing the things that i would be doing as gm you know so this player and I had a chat about or had communication about, you know, the boundaries, if you like. We set those up and within those boundaries, anything goes, it's, it's kind of up to him. And that's been amazing. As mean as a whole chunk of the GM job, I don't have to do anymore. And of course, it raises the question, you know, like the things that the traditional GM does. Um, do you really need to be doing them? Could some of this stuff be outsourced? And what I'm discovering slowly is yeah if you've got a willing player who can step up and help then absolutely you can lower the load now i wondered out there if there are players listening wishing they could find a gm and there are gms listening who just wishing they could find a player who would be willing to help in that way because i know it's made a huge difference to me huge huge difference to me so anyway thank you so much shandy andy for your call and thank you to that mysterious player Saturday, next crazy thing I've done. Um, it's time to get started with this, uh, my coffee-in game. And I'm really keen to sort of start experimenting with uh, techniques, uh, methodology that will drive towards deeper other world immersion. So this morning I uh, just put out an open call uh, to the RPR Discord and... Um, really asking if there's anyone who wanted to come and play in my Kovnia uh, in a play-by-post game. And amazingly, I think there's about seven people who are potentially stepping forward. So it's kind of an amazing and very surprising thing. Uh, and I'm grateful to all of them. So thank you so much, guys. Um, yeah, I'm just going to kind of dive in uh, again. I guess I owe Shandy Andy for this because I just figured that uh, rather than sort of pussyfooting around, um, it's time to sort of like uh, dive on in, you know. No point sort of uh, padding around uh, the whole question and issue. So, yeah, that's a thing. And uh, it feels quite good actually to get started. There's a whole load of stuff I'm going to need to do, but I think the first thing is that each player kind of coming on in, we've got a little private forum, which I've rather clunkily set up, and... Yeah, I'm just going to invite them all in. We're going to, I'm going to start with characters. And then once I've got characters, I can start to sort of build them a game. And I think that will be a really cool and exciting thing. So I just wanted to quickly note that. Um, this evening is the second session of Fire Citadel of the Dragon Kings. Um, a two-hour session tonight of the open table game. Um and again, four players, I think it's the same four guys, which is great, who are able to come. Um, there's two spades at the table, so you know, fingers crossed maybe someone will join us. But um, to be honest with you, that's just fine, you know, either way. And um, I'm really looking forward to that as well. So uh, we'll see how that pans out. And yeah, you know, I feel like uh, GM's back. So 
Game on. Fire Tower has been cleared, looted and breached. The Lord is sending a attachment of men to hold the tower and our brave heroes are lugging home a chest full of loot. Um, what a great night. Lots of fun. Uh, really, really good time. Our second session, four players again. He took along a couple of um, hirelings, a couple of men-at-arms, uh, one of whom died, the other one got like, very badly injured. Um, but they're, they're taking home the treasure, so that was great fun. And although we are going to skip um, two weeks' time because I'm at Garantha Games Convention, um, we are back in a month. And uh, I think the guys are up for it. I think they enjoyed themselves. Certainly enjoyed the shenanigans in the Fire Tower. Sunday, 20th of September. And my head is like, it feels like it's on fire today. In a metaphorical sense, obviously. Um, creatively, I mean... I was trying to explain this to Deb this morning, actually. Um, I realised about my creativity, uh, something I think I've known, I think I've always known this, but I'm not sure I've ever really articulated it. And I realised that, um, so if you remember, a few months ago, I basically you know, brought all of my role-playing to a halt, all the games I was running, anyway, to a halt. And I, um, my initial thought was, I'll, I'll try being a player for a while, which has not worked out at all well, to be honest. Um, all three of the games that I've been in, um, well, one of them I managed one session and then I had to battle because I couldn't, like, be that flaky with them given the night it was on and how tired I was going to be. Another game, um, essentially, between us, we have just not managed, I mean, I was flaky and then, um, essentially, it's just not been possible to bring it back together. The hope is that that game will come back this week for the, at least the final session. And then the third game, um, again, has had... Um, sort of a couple of sessions um, but essentially fallen apart um, for at least a month now um, you know for all for good reasons but essentially um, you know me trying to be a player has uh, not worked out but that's not necessarily a bad thing um, I started by you know sort of deciding that I was going to build the Fire Citadel of the Dragon Kings, I was going to do the Mega Dungeon, um, which is at one extreme of my gaming. Um, that very um, gamey step on up sort of expect part of the spectrum, I guess, um, where we're using um, a sort of very time-tested an honourable uh, game structure, that of the Mega Dungeon. And as I had my uh, second full session of that last night, it took a month for me to get to the point where I was ready to run, and we've run two sessions. We are going to unfortunately skip one because of um, Grantha Games, but uh, I don't think that's a bad thing because I think that decision, taken last weekend, has been the second step. That now I'm running, I've committed myself to running a one-shot game in a game system and in a world which is created entirely by somebody else, but which really is sort of sitting at the heart of the, the sort of traditional game um, that we all kind of know and experience. It is um, got that balance of um, 
being, should I suppose, more wilderness-based or more out there in a world, uh, but at the same time, <clears throat> excuse me, being, you know, a fairly um, detailed set of rules, a fairly um, structured uh, game, as well as offering um, the simulation of a fantasy world that is really rich, you know, that and exists in out there in literature and out there in the minds of many, many, many thousands of fans. This weekend, I've taken the third step, and that is towards running my own game in my own fantasy world and in driving away from player-facing mechanisms and rules towards what the player's experience being almost entirely through the perspective, through the eyes and the senses of their character. That's the goal. Now, at this stage, we are in the very early processes of kind of recruiting players and starting to conceptualise characters. And I'm going to do uh, a bit of character interview, I guess, something that uh, has been sort of in my repertoire for a very long while, but most players resist. But it's this idea of having a back and forth question and answer for already for a considerable period of time, given that we're on play by post, with each player about their character and really shaping the concept. Uh, from that, I'm going to go away and build their character using the mechanisms of the game that I've chosen. Those guys don't even really know what game I'm using. And that's intentional. I'm, I'm sure in time they'll figure it out, but essentially it doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter. There just should be this trust in my mind that I'm asking them to trust me. And I'm hoping that this trust will arise or it exists, that they'll trust me that I will be fair and use a set of objectively designed rules and this sort of trinity of, of projects that I'm now embarking upon has fully ignited my creativity and my energy. And that's the thing I wanted to say that I sort of said to Deb this morning, I realised that um, my energy is linked very much to my creativity. So all through my life, when I've been engaged in a creative endeavour, when I'm doing something that, and creativity here is, in one of two directions. <clears throat> Excuse me. Creativity here is in one of two directions. The first direction is kind of pushing the boundaries outward on a sort of linear horizontal level that you're going outward and you're kind of pushing the extent of our thought and our ideas. And the second way in which I talk about creativity is in digging deep, going down vertically, if you like, into something, into an idea. And of course, these projects variously work in both axes. Um, I think that the Mykovnia game is essentially about digging into an idea, the idea of other world immersion, of player perspective, being character perspective, of taking away the breadth of things the players have to concern themselves with, allowing them to focus on their make-believe world and take away the gamey aspects of that and hide those behind the screen, as it were. In the Mega Dungeon, actually, it's about breadth. It's about building this huge and expansive dungeon. The players themselves have the full rules in front of them. I have focused myself on making something grand and big, um, but not necessarily terribly deep. 
Um, I don't mean in a physical sense, obviously the dungeon is very deep, but what I mean is in terms of the gameplay, it's actually relatively straightforward and simple structure and um, doesn't require me, very much of me in terms of mental effort to create, produce and, and you know, and run. And it's interesting because, you know, I'm running a live game on an ongoing basis, which is the easiest, lowest mental energy kind of to maintain and manage. I'm running the medium level game with in request, which is going to be a one shot. So it allow it requires of me an awful amount of mental energy in the next two weeks. It is two weeks yesterday, um, and on the day will require four hours of really intense effort. But actually, it's a one and done. And then I've got my Kovnia, which is going to be incredibly mentally taxing and challenging but actually done play by post means it's very slow and it allows me to really consider my thoughts and work at a steady pace and I think this is a really wonderful combination of projects for me right now because it's igniting my enthusiasm and my energy and I realize that this is what the hobby does for me see in my career I get to do these kind of hugely creative things from time to time but increasingly as you spend time in a role, you know, I've been in my job for about six years now, um, many things become sort of formalized and steady and you kind of have this steady state of what it means to be teaching those things. That's not to say that in the moment it's not highly challenging, it is. But, you know, um, it is essentially stable. You know, there's a set, pretty much the curriculum is set, pretty much the way things are functioning. You know, obviously right now in COVID that's different, but. Broadly speaking, what I'm talking about here is that there are structures there that you kind of work within. And of course, as those things become solidified, they, to me, become, you know, stable and steady and reliable. They also become creatively less challenging and less interesting. So I've always wanted to push the boundaries. When I worked for GW, you know, I went through a number of jobs because what I was constantly doing is pushing, creatively pushing the boundary of what I was, my job was about, and it ended up creating new jobs and leaving behind the old ones, which other people then picked up and, and turned into steady states. That's me. That's what I do. That's kind of the whole creative drive of my life has been to push the boundaries, push the boundaries, push the boundaries. Oh, I'm over here now. Um, somebody else needs to go back over there and backfill because um, I've left that behind, you know, or it just gets left behind. And that's what's happened with so many campaigns for me in fantasy and in gaming generally is that, you know, I try something and I'm pushing that and I've got what I need from that and I sort of end up moving on. And no doubt that will ever change. But I'm kind of hoping is that, that in building my own fantasy world and in running my own game in a really immersive way, uh, well, at least immersive for the players in that sense of character perspective is player perspective, which allows them to really immerse themselves in the other world. I hope that, you know, the creative effort that which is unbounded and has no limit, I could potentially maintain for a very, very long while. So who knows? But the point I'm going to say is that today I feel like I'm on fire creatively. And I know that that will ebb and flow. I know my motivation today is very high. I know motivation ebbs and flows, yeah. What I'm trying to do is learn how to keep the things that I'm doing relatively straightforward and simple and easy so that I can maintain that on a longer basis. And that's where, you know, building little tiny habits into my life is going to be really key here. Um, but 
that all engages and excites me. That is entirely what, um, for me, the hobby does and is about and what it is, its value is, I guess. But I'm blithering, so I'm going to shut up. And, yeah, let's go and read and plan and write and create. Game on. It's Tuesday morning, and I just wanted to record a quick piece, really. Um, I've just been out for my run, actually, um, and I come back. And this morning I've been thinking a lot about, um, well, really, the Mega Dungeon, and also just generally my hobby in the evening. Confession time. Uh, the last week or so, I've basically completely failed to write any keys for the Mega Dungeon. Basically, I've now gone an entirely seven days without adding a single key. And the reason for that is because previously, previous to returning to school, I was doing this in the morning. So it was part of my morning routine. I had I'd built the habit into my morning routine. So around about eight o'clock, I'd go and turn the computer on. And what I would do is I would add something to eBay for sale. And then immediately following that, I would do a entry to the dungeon. And following that, I would actually write something in a little journal. I've got a little hobby journal like um, written version going and um, I just kind of jot down some keynotes about what's on my mind um, and sometimes this then flowers a little into I record um, but generally speaking it was just a great way of sort of tapping all I was trying, really trying to do with that by the way is just tap into like how I felt today um, and and what I'd done and a lot of the time it was the same thing it's like oh I just added something to the dungeon and you know this was the detail of it Occasionally, those things have flowered into blog posts, so that was the primary purpose of it, really, to get me writing. And sometimes that piece of writing, if I then took a, I could take a section of that and I could put it in and develop it, and it would become a blog post. And a couple of the blog posts in recent months have come from from that. Work obviously disrupts that routine, basically destroys the morning opportunity. So the first 10, oh no, not even that, the first five to seven days or so of school, I was able to transfer this into the evening. I thought, oh, we're pretty straightforward. You know, I can just transfer it into the evening. But what I hadn't taken into account was the sheer exhaustion I would be feeling once we got back to full-time teaching. And of course, last week was the first full-on week when I had no, um, what we call planning, preparation, assessment time, PPA time in the week. Um, all of mine, well, apart from Friday morning, I have one period. This week, I have four of those hours. So I have one a day, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Yesterday was exhausting as well because it's a full teaching day. And that's extremely exhausting. So the barrier here, you know, going back to Fogg's behavior model, the uh, barrier here is that the link in my chain here that's failing is essentially mental energy. I have no mental energy. What this causes is a drop in my motivation. Um, and I feel like... Because whether it's easy or not, to, from an objective sense, what is important is our perception of how easy something is, our ability to do something. And basically sitting down at my computer and adding something to eBay, writing something for the, the dungeon and then like you know writing in the journal is just too obviously too hard, I think, to me. So what I've decided this morning is that I need to create a new mini habit in the evening. And I realized, of course, the big part of this problem is that my evenings are chaotic. My evenings don't actually have much structure right now because they have been incredibly disrupted by the return to work. And because I haven't kind of consciously shaped them, um, consciously given them any kind of form, they are essentially random, reactive, and not at all healthy. And what's happening is that essentially I feel like I'm wasting my evenings. Um, because I probably am. I'm probably not being at all useful, you know, 
And um, I think it's fine being tired, but I think like for me, I need a sense of some structure there. So what I've decided to do today is I looked, to, I've been thinking all morning through as I was making breakfast, as I was in a bath, as I was kind of like going for my walk, I've been thinking through where in the evening I can um, attach, <clears throat> you know, some new habits. And actually I realised how, you know, essentially formless my evening is. There are essentially maybe three or four kind of key events in the evening that are are relatively solid. One is arriving home, and then immediately following that, there is a sort of flux of things that I do. There is a rough sequence to that, but it can be easily disrupted because Deb will arrive home not far after me. She might even be home before me, and um, essentially I can never predict when she'll arrive, and since she arrives, that triggers a whole other kind of that whole greeting, hi, how are you, day, the interaction between us, which is really important to me, and which is essentially freeform. No, it can't be planned, obviously. Um, from there, the next anchor point is eating together, and we have some um, habits around that. And then following eating, Deb will usually <clears throat> sort of go, um, usually I cook as she'll wash up, and then following washing up, she'll go and do the rats. But even if she cooks and I wash up, she will then go and get the rat stuff. And this is usually the trigger for me after that's done to go and do evening prayer. Evening prayer is the solid part of my evening. That is something that I do. It doesn't always come at exactly the same time, but it happens every night. It's part of my my rule of prayer. So essentially, um, what I was doing in the mornings, I realized is I was I had attached the the rule to the morning rule of prayer. I had attached eight o'clock. You know, basically the rule that was pretty solid in the morning. I come back from my run up and be any moment now. I'm going to go upstairs and do the morning rule of prayer. And second part of that really, which is about um, a, a moment of prayer, some time, Bible, and other things. I'm sorry if you're not a religious person or a spiritual person, but it kind of helps me explain the situation. And in the evening, it's shorter. It's just evening prayers, which take maybe five minutes. And then I come back down. Now, every time I come back down, I go through the room where the computer is. So here's the simple habit. Here's the tiny habit that I'm going to put in my day and hope that it will eventually flourish and flower into, you know, being able to do a number of tasks and, and bits and pieces of, of hobby stuff in the evening. Here's the tiny habit. And you go through the room, and I'm going to turn on the computer. Now, if I can turn on the computer, I think that essentially I've got a great basis for habit. And I think it's going to be turn on the computer and sit in the, in the chair. And once the computer's booted, log in. And that's the habit. So essentially, <laughs> it's, it's about kind of putting myself in the chair. Because as I think it's Charles Sturgeon, the great preacher, said, you know, the most difficult thing about preaching is the application of bum to seat in preparation for that. And I think this is a habit I can do. It takes very little ment cognitive mental effort to turn on the computer and sit down. It is a habit I can develop. And I think once in the chair, I might, over time, I might get to the point where I'll go, oh, I'll um, open up that file. And I also think what I'm going to do is reverse everything. So... Um, I also want to, to sort of turn the steps around. So it is open the journal and the journal habit is, once I open it, the journal habit is just write one sentence. So that isn't onerous. And maybe that's it and I close it and I close down the computer and I go away. The journal habit is connected, can then be connected to the mega dungeon habit. And I'm hoping I can do the sentence or two in the journal and then move on to writing. Adding to eBay can come last is the least important thing. It can happen when I feel like I've got the energy for it. Um, and down the line, if it's irregular, that doesn't really matter because I'm just selling those books off as and when. It's not like I desperately need the money. 
you know, that there's extra money when that comes in. So that's that's the thing that's sacrificable, if you like. And I'm going to see how that goes. Um, so that's my plan. Yeah. Now, it's time for morning prayer. Well, I did it. I just sat down at the computer and I just pressed the on button. That's the sound of the computer booting. Here's me logging in. Yes. Feels good. This is the sound of me signing in in the uh, workroom at school. About five feet from the head's office, through the door through there, but there's a computer room that we work in. It's about quarter past eight. In 15 minutes, I'm on duty outside, and um, it just occurs to me how isolating this entire situation is. I realised this morning, really, I think it hit me how I've changed, how much I've. I've just become changed by this whole thing and also how different I feel about it all to so many people around me. I feel isolated in the midst of a crowd. I feel that uh, this incessant movement is separating, that, you know, being two metres away from anybody at all times is, is just a hard. And... Um, yeah, it's just tough. Nothing to do with gaming. Well, we did it. It's Wednesday night and we played the final session of Conan TD20 Island Walker running. It was fun. It was really good. Um, brutally weird and um, dark and creepy. And yeah, just really different. So um, I'm really tired. I just had like the most horrendous and busy day, but uh, it was really good to come and play some games with guys and sort of wrap that up as well. It was good. So thank you, Arnold, for that. I really appreciated it. And uh, now I've just got to get to bed. Game on.